This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Nicole Madigan, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Yeah, what an interesting book, a harrowing story of your life Mm. experience. Let me introduce you. Nicole has worked as a print journalist for News Limited and an on-air reporter and presenter with the Nine Network, filing stories for Brisbane Lifestyle Show Weekend Extra and National Nine News. As a freelance journalist, her work has been published in the AFR, the Sydney Morning Herald, The Australian, The Courier Mail, Sunday Life and many more. Her book is called Obsession. It's a gripping blend of memoir, investigation and expert analysis and takes a deep dive into the disturbing phenomena of stalking. It is so disturbing on so many ways, but taken so lightly over the years, you know. Yeah, it really is. And I think that's one of the things that that really made me want to look into this a little bit further um, once I guess once my experience was framed as stalking, because for a lot of that time, I didn't put that label on it. I just knew what was happening was was scary and confronting. And when I did sort of dip my toe in and try to to tell some people or tell police, there wasn't really much of a serious response to it. And of course, stalking itself is the same thing. I mean, we we all make a bit of a joke about about stalking and we do yeah we do it's so the word is taken so lightly isn't it yeah it's almost taken on an an almost sort of colloquial meaning you know where we we talk about you know stalking a friend's new date or an ex or something like that like it's something we almost brag about in a fun way yeah, yeah. Do you know, I was only bragging about it this morning in a fun way to my colleagues. I was telling them how many, many, many years ago now I was living in London, right, and um, Elvis Costello got on the bus, right, and I was I couldn't believe it. So when he got off the bus, for whatever reason, and it wasn't even my stop, I got up and I followed I was in my early 20s, right, and I yeah. got up and I followed him. Now, I'm sure he knew I was following him, but he's probably <laughs> looking at what does she want or she's too gutless to say hi and no phones or anything as such. Anyway, I followed him to his home. I followed him all the way. He walked back to his home and then he walked in. I thought, oh, okay. And I just turned turned around and walked away. (laughs) And now I think what was the point of that, right? But it was considered a joke. I told so many people that story and they all thought it was funny. But it's often not that harmless, is it? Yeah, and I think, look, you know, making a joke about internet stalking or, or something like that yes. in and of itself isn't harmful, but I guess where, when it becomes harmful is when it's actually happening and you try to tell someone and that same lighthearted attitude is applied to what you're going through and, and then you realise, 
you know, there, there can be some consequences to, to flippantly talking about something that is in actual fact a crime. You know, stalking yeah. is a crime, but it's it's often not looked at that way. So talk to me about your career because you're quite experienced, obviously, and you've been working in journalism for a long time. How did you get there? Is, is it something that you knew from early on that that's what you wanted to do? Well, I've always really loved writing and reading and, and, and words. So I always knew I wanted to do something in, in that sort of field. And when I went to university, I studied communications generally. Like a lot of people that age, I wasn't quite sure where I was going to go. And it was during that time that I applied for a cadetship at a little local newspaper near my home. It was just a little independent paper. And I was about 20 at that stage. And I got that. And I stayed in, in, in that field ever since. So I, I did a year at that little paper and then I moved on to Quest Community newspapers, which were, you know, a staple around the country back then um, and a really great way to, to get stuck into all the elements of journalism, so court reporting and education reporting and entertainment. So it was a, it was a really great learning experience in a, in a really supportive environment. And then from there, I moved on to, I switched mediums and went to television and, and was very fortunate to get straight into the Brisbane Channel 9 building and, and worked on a, a lifestyle program called Extra and, and did a few years there and then started a family. So I just felt television reporting was just a bit bit too much at that stage with a, with, with a little baby and, and having gone through IVF and that sort of thing. So I I've jumped back into print and I've been freelancing ever since. Mm. And is there a particular specialisation you have or something that, that you like? Like, you know, I think of the most famous journalist that's gone into, well, that has written books and, of course, that's Trent Dalton. And I'm not surprised that his style of writing became fiction because, you know, he writes like that as a journalist as well. So talk to me about your writing and then your transition to writing a whole book. Yeah, he does. I, I, my, my love is long form writing. I love feature writing. So I love to, to tell stories real essentially, um, and be as creative as I can in telling those stories. So I do, I do all different sorts of writing, obviously, like most journalists do, but yeah, my love is feature writing. Um, and I've got a special interest in, in domestic violence and, and, and family dynamics and things like that. So I've sort of focused in on those areas in the last few years from a passion perspective, they're, they're the sort of things that I look for and I enjoy the most. Mm. So I guess, look, you know, it does lend itself to um, the style of book that I've ended up writing, which is essentially an investigative piece. So talk to me about how stalking started for you. So I was in a new relationship. Um, I was in my late 30s, though. I had not too long been sort of on the other side of a, of a separation and divorce. So it was a um, later in life relationship and we were just sort of enjoying that and um, introducing our kids at this point and, um, yeah, getting things sort of a little bit more established. And we were having a, a party one day, a footy grand final party, and it was our first kind of official gathering as a couple, I guess, where we brought our parents in and had the family over. So it was a really unremarkable day, but a really momentous day at the same time for us. And everyone had gone home and we were just cleaning up, put the kids to bed. And I got this message request on Facebook and it was from a clearly a fake account. It had used um, my partner's name to create a profile name. And it was just a series of really aggressive 
vulgar messages aimed at me and also talking about my partner, Adam. So it was clear that the person knew him. Um, that, that was made really clear. Um, but at that point, I wasn't quite sure who it was or, or why they had contacted me. So, of course, I didn't think I was about to be stalked or anything like that. It just seemed like a really shocking kind of grotesque <laughs> attack of messages from someone who was clearly not happy with what was unfolding. Mm. Um, and look, from there, it just basically escalated. So, you know, later that night I got a continuous stream of messages. I also got a message from from my ex-husband sort of referencing that person. So he had sent me a text message that simply said, Carissa says hi, Carissa not being her real name obviously, but the name that I've used in the book. Within a week she sent a whole series of messages from her own personal account. So she made no attempt to hide who she was. She made it quite clear who she was and was very clear in the type of abusive messages that she wanted to send and the messages that she was trying to get through. Mm. And so when they became continuous, like the first lot, you're right, so, oh, well, you know, this is terrible and wonder what this is all about. But now you're getting a sense that it's continuous. And how did you feel about what to do next? Because I think that's the big step. Yeah, I, I think it is. And look, I let it go on quite a long time before did I you? did anything. Yeah, yeah it, it was a good six months before I did anything about it. And I think that was just because I sort of, I hadn't put a label on it. Yeah. And I just didn't really know whether anything illegal was taking place. So, so police didn't kind of come into the picture in my mind at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I just noticed that I was really becoming consumed and anxious by that sort of ding, 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 that messages that were coming through at all hours of the night, different times of the day. And you couldn't block any of it? I did. I did block them. I did, sorry, but but she would just make a new account yeah. in the same name. So, you know, I always knew who it was. Occasionally it was in a different name but with the same types of messages. So mm-hmm. I was following the the basic rules that you get told to block mm-hmm. and ignore but that that had no impact at all whatsoever on on what was happening. What do you think she wanted? So, look, at that stage, it really seemed like it, um, and it's interesting because it it really evolved and changed over time, but but in that first six months it seemed to me that she was just someone who was jealous, Mm -hmm. wanted attention and was maybe still hung up on on Adam. Um, That's what it seemed like. So, you know, to, to my logic, if we ignore it and, and not give it energy, she'd kind of get bored. I mean, that's simplifying it a little bit, but that's that's just honestly what I thought would happen. But it seemed like the, the goal maybe was to, to break us up or something. I mean, even saying it now, it it, it feels, it, it's just a strange thing to, to tell people. It, it feels so almost silly, you know, but, but the impact is, is, is not. So, look, I, I tried to continuously ignore it, but it, it got more frequent she also contacted my mum and then eventually created a, a fake account in my name so identified herself as me sent herself some messages and started distributing distributing them around so look at that point I thought maybe this is something that's illegal because it's stealing an identity so that was the first time that I that I tried calling police to see if I could get any help mm. do you know what to me I feel that Somebody like you and I could navigate that and yeah. you put up with it for a long time. Yeah. But 
you and I are, pro- are capable of like, you know, tracing something or tracking something down or thinking what's next. There's so many people where this technology is so hard for them to make head or tail of and they are frightened about what comes next. You know, I, it really worries me when people um, are receiving these messages and they don't have the technical ability to even block or or anything. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And look, I'm, you know, I, I was in a fortunate position that, that mm. right, you know, that I, I could yeah. navigate the technology. But even for me, it was becoming quite overwhelming. And, and the, distressing. Um, yeah, and the intensity of those feelings even shocked me um, yeah. and impressed me, you know, and, yeah. and I became frustrated with myself for, for becoming so consumed by it. Mm-hmm. But, look, things did escalate over time. You know, there was a little break for a few months and she came back on quite strong using telephone and using Instagram and becoming quite public with it. So I was quite fearful for my, you know, my reputation yeah, and, and my relationships and things like that. But again, you know, I went to police three times in total in this three-year period and, and the first two times I really didn't get anywhere. I was just told those same things, you know, you, you need to ignore it, keep a record um, and call triple O in an emergency. So I really did feel like I was on my own um, without any support at all. And what's um, the point of recording it if they're not going to do anything about it? Well, that's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. and recording it, as you say before, um, what does that even mean? You know, in yeah. my situation, I did take a screenshot and record everything right from the beginning. Why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's because of that that journalistic instinct. I don't know. I did that, but not everyone thinks no. to do that. And a lot of times you really want to get rid of unpleasant things and yes. you, you just want to delete them, throw it away. And I think a lot of people would do that and, and I'm told that that's that is like if you, even you have, if you have a confrontation with a stranger, like, you know, let's say you're in a supermarket and somebody, yes. whatever, I mean, it doesn't happen that often, hopefully, but even that you come home and you feel terrible, don't you? You feel yeah. like, oh, could I have handled that better? Yeah. You know, what happened? Did I provoke it? You know, you're always second guessing yourself, aren't you? That's right. Exactly. And, and, and look, you know, in this case with when she had moved to Instagram, it was all very public and they were, they were really kind of really mean-spirited too. So it wasn't just scary. They, they were a, a huge attack on, on your self-esteem. They they savaged my physical appearance, my family, oh. my work. And and it's it's one of those things too that you you know you should rise above and, and not let these things bother you. But it's um it's easier said than done. And and look it did take a sinister turn. She did eventually start to post, you know, she she found out where I lived and posted my address and uh, alluded to having moved to the suburb and posted some details about my wedding and other public information. So it, it did take that sinister turn. And look, that's that was the outcome of ignoring it. You know, it, it it just got progressively worse and more personal. And it wasn't until that point that I got any help from police. And I think, look, the same issues that you raised earlier were also relevant after I did get help because to get anywhere with the police. I had to do a lot of work and, and that body of evidence was critical, um, an ability to articulate how all of the pieces fit together to create the pattern that proves stalking. It's it's quite overwhelming and quite daunting and I think, you know. And it's on you. It's on it's on the, it's on the victim, yeah. It, yeah. It's on the victim and, and I had to do a lot of work on it and I think it just so happened that it, it fell into a little bit of, of an area of, 
work that I'm used to doing. So I was able to try to put those pieces together. But it was a confronting and overwhelming experience. And I think it really puts a lot of victims of stalking at a, at a huge disadvantage. Um, mm-hmm. You know. The pressure, the anxiety, you talk about that as well in the book. I mean, you feel like you're a normal, stable person, but if somebody is at you, at you, at you, that chips away. That chips away to every part of your life. It does. Yeah, it does. And and the longer it went, for me anyway, the longer it went on, the more it was impacting me. So the, the more consumed by it I was becoming. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk to me about some of your reactions and your behaviours and your response to them. Because also there's no way you can give her what she wants. So there's no solution. That's right. That's exactly right. And look, towards the second half of this three years, her focus shifted entirely. So she stopped talking about me and Adam as a couple and all those things that she was focusing on, the, on the, at the beginning, which seemed to be designed to just, just to split us up. Mm. She became really focused on me and she only contacted me from that point and, and really just trying to cause stress and terror. So she was always alluding to something being about to happen, something around the corner that was going to blow up my life. So I never knew whether that was going to unfold or whether it was mm. more talk. I didn't know whether she had moved around the corner and was watching us. I just didn't know. And I guess one of the biggest feelings I grappled with was not knowing whether I was overreacting or underreacting. And I didn't speak to a lot of people about it, only my partner and my mum. And she certainly didn't think I was overreacting. She was very big on telling the police and, and trying to do something about it because, of course, we all know that, when something bad does happen, it's often um, preceded by actions and behaviours that seem simple or seem inconsequential. Um, but looking back, we say, oh, you know, there was some signs or things like that. But for most of the time, I just felt like I was becoming too consumed by it and, and letting letting her do this. So I became quite angry at times um, mm-hmm. at her, but also at myself for, for allowing it to happen. Um, but I really just didn't know what to do to stop it because as I mean, say, three years is a long time. It's a long time. That and is really, really chipping, 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 yeah. you know. And it's disturbing. Uh, it's a really disturbing feeling to, to know that someone that you do not know is thinking about you this much and for this long and seeming to be trying to find really genuine ways to destroy your life, essentially. It's a, it's a really 
strange feeling. And I think. Did, um, did you ever get a handle of what the outcome was like for her? What did she want from this? Or was it just her living in anger and hatred? That's an interesting question. And that question itself is a big part of what led me to wanting to do this investigation. I think, you know, I used to ask myself or ask, um, you know, just the prospect of the question of why, what? why, why is she doing this? Obviously she's trying to cause harm and, and terror and stress, but to what end, like to what, to what goal? It was, it was clear that breaking us up didn't seem to be the goal. I mean, we life goes on in the meantime we bought a house and got married and 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 everything's chugging away in terms of the rest of our lives so yeah the big question for me was when is this going to end and what what do you need to happen what needs to happen for this to end and and mm-hmm. is it going to escalate until something more satisfactory takes place or, or will it continue like this forever i just wasn't sure because mm-hmm. it's out of your control it's totally out of your control yeah, yeah. And done in a way that the longer it goes on the easier it becomes for the perpetrator to to do because Mm -hmm. in that time you sort of develop this almost a language between yourselves you know the the longer it goes on the more you know that these words mean this or this nickname means you and and so it becomes easier for a a stalker to to cause fear Mm -hmm. without raising you know without drawing too much attention to themselves and and that becomes a bit of a trap because then it's more difficult for you to prove. So it's a mm. bit of a catch-22. It becomes a bit of a, a problem, especially when you haven't told many people, which a lot of mm. people don't, and mm. then you're sort of trapped in the end because towards the end I remember thinking, this has been going on for three years. I haven't told anybody. If there's- also, I think there's a level of there's a level of embarrassment of telling people, isn't there? Absolutely. Huge. I mean, it shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. Yeah, and and it's it's. I'm glad you said that because you know it's embarrassing to even talk about the fact that it, that it was embarrassing, you know, and because you're talking about a crime, it's a, having a serious impact. But you don't want to tell people that oh, you you your partner's ex even using that terminology it's just mm. it's just so distasteful and and gross and tacky. I want to say yeah mm. yeah mm. It, it's all it's all like that and of course with all this public stuff it was all very as I said it was all very focused on my appearance and and my work and and very vulgar stuff so I really did not want anybody to see it so I wasn't going around saying this person's name or um even mm. trying to touch who it was because I just didn't want anyone to see it because it was all out in the open, um, which is another interesting fact in itself. And, you know, the fact that these people that do this, including her, are so brazen that they do not even attempt to hide it. It's just out there. And I think well, that- social media has that, doesn't it? It has that where people feel, like sometimes when I read comments on Instagram or Facebook, and I think, why are you saying that? Why do you think that's okay to say that? In yeah, a and often it is under people's own names, their photos. That's there. right. That's no right. It. Yeah, it's it's quite shocking that, that I know. people feel okay about it. And I think in the case of stalking, it just goes to show um, what the attitudes are. You know, they're so ingrained that people perpetrating what is actually a crime make no attempt to hide it. Mm. Mm. Okay, so tell me how you handled it towards the end. So, and what drove you to finally tackle it? So, yeah, as I said, I, I'd, I'd been to the police the first time. Um, 
and, and that didn't really go get me anywhere. The second and do you was, think, sorry for interrupting there, no, um, but I just want to say just in terms of the police, do yeah. you think it's because it's taken the police a long time to catch up on what's happening? In general? or Yes, in general. Know? In terms of, you know, cyber stalking, social media stalking, I, do you feel that they were playing a catch-up game? Yeah, look, I think so. I think I think it's a couple of things. I think this idea of differentiating between regular stalking and cyber stalking needs to stop. It, it's almost, you know, social media and the internet is not a new thing. It's not a novelty. It, it, it's part of people's lives. And We've I think had it long enough. <laughs> we have, yeah, and a lot of people... Are, you know, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, they they need it mm. as part of their work or as part of their business or, or just to communicate and function. And I, I think telling people just to avoid social media is is really akin to telling people not to check their mailbox because there might be a nasty letter in there. I mean, you, it's, 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 it's not it's realistic. Yeah. yeah, it's not um, realistic, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's spectacularly unfair on the person who um, is just trying to live their life, in mm. my view. So I think, yes, I think that the digital aspect needs to, they need to catch up in that area. But even stalking generally, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's attitudes come into play and, and there's a big ripple effect because those dismissive attitudes prevent people from talking about it, prevent people from even recognising it some of the times. Um, I mean, look at you, an experienced journalist, you know, a person that would have written about this, you know. You yeah. had all the knowledge, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and even the skill to tackle it and you were trying to hide it. Like you were embarrassed or you wanted it to go away. It's yeah. it's human instinct, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's just yeah. Not, not knowing what to do and, and how to stop it. And, 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 look, I think attitudes are one thing and, and, look, those attitudes can sort of, impact everyone, including the police force. You know, there, yeah. are, there are people in there who, who take it lightly. Come on now, it's not that big a deal. The other thing is, oh, and this is something that I learned from, from researching the book and talking to the experts, so um, not something I knew previously, but the the knowledge and understanding of stalking and the, the resources for police is also an issue because with stalking, uh, similarly um, with coercive control, the behaviours in isolation aren't always illegal behaviours. So if someone goes to the police with an incident or even a couple of incidents, it's not necessarily going to, you know, be a big red flag to police unless they know to look for these things. And and if you've come in a few times, then there's a pattern starting to establish. So I think it's it's difficult at the moment because the onus is on the victim to say, hey, there's a pattern of behaviour going on, this is stalking and trying to present that package to police rather than going into police and having that, that reverse situation where they say, look, we need to establish the pattern, this is what you need to do and, and that really, that guidance for someone who's experiencing something like that. Mm. And there needs to be a proper reporting mechanism. Yeah. Well, that, reporting yeah. a car accident. That's right. That's right. And, and in the Netherlands, interestingly, they they do have quite a, an effective system in place where when people go in to report things, there are keywords that are marked down. So they, they're triggered when the same people go in and the same keywords are ah, right, triggered in yes. the system. There's the same police officer looks after the same person. So there's a couple of things that, that just help recognise and spot the stalking at an earlier time so that you, you don't necessarily have to have lived it for three years and, and come in with a big body of evidence and say this mm. is why it's a, 
sort mm. of situation. So it's it's the reverse where the, the police are sort of guiding and, and getting in early, which is important as well. Mm. So tell me a little bit about the end without giving too much away because we do want people to go out and get the book. Look, the, the third time that I went to the police was when I got any action and I took a different approach because I was purely just desperate at this point. And the reason I decided again to do something was because my address had been posted online and some other personal details. So it was becoming more than just a mental health problem. I felt like it could be a, a physical risk as well. And of course, I've got a family. So I felt um, it just felt irresponsible to, to not try again. I'd also been contacted around that time by another person who was a relative of Carissa's who reached out to me. She'd identified me from these posts, which horrified me in itself. But she was reaching out just to offer support because she had been through a similar thing. 10 years earlier with this person um, and she came across quite frightened and that frightened me. So I thought, you know, I've, I've got to try something. So in the end, I actually put in a cybercrime report. That's the, that's the approach I took this time, which allowed me to use my skill, which is writing, um, to articulate what had happened over a long period of time. It's, it's kind of hard to go in and just quickly verbally say, this has been happening for three years. You just, it's just too difficult. So I wrote it all down, pages of it, um, and click submit and just cross my fingers and hope for the best. And a few months went by um, that I didn't hear anything. Um, and then I clicked on the report just to see, and it said um, in progress has been referred to local police station. So I called the police station um, and found out that it had been referred and that an officer would call me. And a few days later they did. I was a female officer and she was incredible. I mean, even the impact of someone listening to what you're telling them and reacting in a way that validates how you feel is, is quite phenomenal. Like um, to not sort of have that eye roll feeling or that snigger or dismissal is is quite powerful. And, and she really... Well, did. absolutely. It's like, you know, people are hearing me. I'm being heard. Yeah. Finally. So you don't feel like you're the crazy one or the, yeah. the overreacting one. And, mm. and she was acting as though what I was telling her was horrific. So I felt, oh, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe my reactions have been normal, for lack of a better term. So uh, she was really supportive and amazing and then guided me through the kind of difficult process of getting all that evidence together and trying to demonstrate pattern and all of that sort of thing. And she was the one who eventually said to me that, you know, I, I believe the outcome. I said to her, what do you think the outcome is going to be? Is there, is there anything you can do? And she said, well, I'm, I'm looking at it at the moment of putting a charge of unlawful stalking. And that was the first time that the word stalking mm. kind of came into my mind as a realistic thing. I was quite shocked in some ways but also I was sort of shocked and horrified but also relieved that that there was a well that you're being acknowledged yeah yeah, yeah exactly and and that what was happening wasn't just you know someone just being a nuisance it was a it was a criminal offense and it was mm. going to be treated that way I hoped at that stage and then of course ultimately she was charged with unlawful mm. stalking. Mm. gosh you've just given me goosebumps <laughs> it's hard it's, it must be so hard for you to talk about it now I can 
yeah. I can feel and yeah. hear the emotion in your voice. It's tough. Yeah, it is tricky and, and especially when um, it's not something I ever spoke to mm. people about. Mm. And even the people I did speak to about, which, which is my husband and my mum, it was more updating them, okay, this is what, you know, I was very open. With, they, they read and saw everything. But it's still quite hard to talk about, like it's it's because it's all very mm. unpleasant and um, yeah, I didn't like to talk about mm. it a lot. So it was just a matter of did, being, mm, did writing the book help? Yeah, it really did. Um, it was it was a confronting experience, but it was the first time I'd been able to really just be really honest with how I felt. And mm. look, once I decided to to do a memoir. I thought it was just really important to be honest, even with the really embarrassing feelings that that I've included in there and very honest details about the type of insults that were thrown my way and things like that, which are hard to... Oh, um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not easy to... Um, and if I could have put imagery in, you know, I, I would have. But I think it's it's of no help if you don't be really honest about it because it does... It, 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 that causes the same problems, you know, it glosses mm. over it and it sugarcoats it. And I think it's important for people to know that that how they feel is okay and and what's happening to them is is not okay so look it was a it was emotional at sometimes because you're sort of reliving those feelings and and that's difficult but it was nice to be able to just be really honest with with how it all impacted me and and how I felt through the process. Mm, I think you're amazing. Oh, We're out of time, Nicole. Honestly, what a story. The book is called Obsession. Um, if we weren't doing this by Zoom, I'd reach over and give you a big hug. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.